Today is Friday, June 16, 2023. It's day 890 of the J6 political hostage crisis. I'm Mel Holly, and this is your Justice in Jeopardy update. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Justice in Jeopardy. I'm excited today to be talking to Tom Jeffries, and he has been fundamental in the fight that we have been waging against the Northern Neck Regional Jail. And so we're going to go into that quite a bit and talk about what's gone on there and what's going on uh, going forward. Welcome to Justice and Jeopardy, Tom. How are you doing today? Thank you, Mel. I'm doing great and happy to be here. Thank you so much. Well, I'm glad we finally got this uh, clamped down. You and I have been going back and forth for quite a while, and uh, it's it's been such a pleasure to work with you and 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 see the fruits of everything that you guys have been doing in Northern Neck. Uh, why don't you Why don't you tell us about how you got involved in uh, in this in the first place? Yeah, that's a great great uh, place to start. So, uh, I'm the chairman of the Northern Neck Patriots, and I became a member of that group in uh, just a regular member in July of 2021 um, when they first founded the organization. Um, and then at some point into it, the uh, chairperson at the time had to step down. That was probably around the, the December timeframe of 2021. And I was approached to see if I would be willing to, uh, to step into that role. Not something I really wanted to do. Um, you know, I've still worked and got a lot of things going on, but I felt like it was important um, on a number of different fronts. Um, I joined that organization because I was very disturbed by the issues with election integrity in this country and the medical freedom issues that, that everybody that's aware of that was going on at that time and I think will continue to, to happen um, if we allow it. So those were my two passionate um, points, but uh, it was interesting because I was um, elected chair in January of 2022 and uh, the next day, um, some of our group um, went to the Northern Neck Regional Jail and sat in on the, uh, a, a jail board meeting, um, asked a lot of questions about the J6ers that we had just been, been learning about that had been coming through there, um, and basically putting them on notice that we would be watching. So I sort of inherited a task right up front uh, in my very, very first month. Um, we followed that up by arranging a visit with the jail. We spent actually three hours um, interviewing the uh, superintendent and the head of security, probably an hour and a half with them, and then another hour and a half just touring the facility. So I have to say we came right away from there with no evidence of any smoking gun. Um, it, it appeared, at least from what we were being told, that they treat everybody equally, which is, you know, not very well. It's not a hotel. You don't get treated great in, in jail. It is jail. But they assured us that the January Sixers would not be treated any differently than anyone else. Um, we, uh, we later found out that that was not necessarily true. Yeah. How were, do, you, do you know how you guys first became aware that, that there were January Sixers in that Northern Neck Regional Jail in your area? Oh, that's a great question. I know there were several of our members who uh, started writing letters, um, so I don't know exactly how, how that, that came about, but pretty quickly it was clear that there were quite a few. 
Um, I specifically asked the jail, the superintendent for a list of the January Sixers that were there. And he uh, gave an answer that because it was federal and through the marshal service, he probably couldn't, couldn't divulge that information. So we never got any um, real cooperation from the jail in terms of helping us to track these people. So we've, we've basically put it together on our own. Yeah. So uh, what kind of issues were, you know, were you made aware of that, that kept you guys going and, and fighting for what was uh, apparently not, not going right in there? Well, I think the first part of it was it came out of the letters that a few individuals were brave enough to write. And I, I want to mention that because there, I, I went through this as well. There, there's a bit of a threshold you have to step over in terms of putting yourself out there. If you're writing a letter to a jail to a federal inmate, you know that obviously the feds will 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 know that. Um, and uh, so, so I really want to say. Um, kudos to those brave individuals that just started corresponding with these folks. And so through the, that correspondence, we started to understand how bad the nutrition was and how poor the food was and how important commissary is to um, supplementing these guys in terms of, you know, being able to get um, protein, for instance, and, and just food that was more edible, um, you know, and then everything else that went with that. So those starts to, those kinds of stories started to come out and we realized that there's probably a lot more here. And it was when we started doing the vigils that we actually got to speak to the individuals and um, a lot more came out. Right. So these guys would be calling out on the phones to you guys and you guys would, would broadcast uh, their messages and, and what they were saying about what was going on inside and, and, and everything. Yeah, absolutely. So for the first few months, we were just religiously going to the jail board meetings and asking questions and standing up and speaking. And, and then we would go to the um, local boards of supervisors meetings and raise the questions there because it became clear to us that even though the Northern Neck Regional Jail Board is made up of three members from each of the counties that are represented, it didn't really seem like there was any discussion going on in the counties about the jail. So there seemed to be a real disconnect there. So we started working that angle too, to try to bring awareness or try to force awareness, to try to force the boards of supervisors to talk about this kind of stuff. But as you said, once the um, interviews started to happen, then, then it really became personalized. And I think that's what really helped because we could go to those meetings and we could read excerpts of what people had told us on the phone and it, and it, I think that made a very, very big impact. How were you? Uh, how were you greeted in in that atmosphere? Um, did, were were they welcoming? How, how did they react? Well, if any, you know, a lot, a lot more people are are getting involved uh, in in their local um, governments. So it was a learning curve for me. I, I had been in front of board of supervisors for work once or twice in my career to present a project or whatever the case was, but. Um, I will tell you this, at the jail board, the people that showed up at the first meeting, their response was, oh, we have members of the public here. Oh, okay, how can we help you? What, what, why are you here? And uh, there was no framework around public comment. It was very, very loose. And then this is at the jail board. Uh, as we continued to come and we continued to ask questions, not easy questions either, hard questions, um, they tightened up things quite a bit. And uh, so they adopted sort of the similar rules you would have at a board of supervisors meeting where you have three minutes to speak 
you can put your question, you can, you can ask something in the form of a question, but it doesn't necessarily need to be answered by them. They reserve the right to engage with you or not. And so I would say that the uh, welcomeness of that first meeting uh, quickly went to a, okay, public's here, thank you for coming. We'll listen to what you have to say. And then they just go on about their business. So um, we don't get a lot of instant gratification and feedback, but our message is still strong. And I know the message is, is being heard. Yeah, I think I remember at one point, uh, they, they announced that their prison should be a, the, the model for the, for the whole country, something to that effect? Well, there's a pattern that occurs at these meetings and uh, the superintendent is, let's just say a very uh, flamboyant individual. Um, he's, he's quite happy to tout the successes of the jail and does so at every occasion. Um, so according to him, the Northern Neck Regional Jail, depending upon how you measure it, whether debt service is included or not for any financial wizards, um, they're either number one in the Commonwealth or number three in terms of overall revenue. Um, and then they also have the lowest per diem rates in the Commonwealth. So if you think those two things, money coming in, money going out, they're simply trying to maximize the difference between the two. And that's why they don't put any effort into the food service. That's why they don't provide the medical treatment that this is a medical certified medical uh, facility, by the way, they have their own little urgent care center with an x-ray and everything, which they're very proud of to tell us about that. But basically what it comes down to, if you have a problem while you're in jail, you have to fill out a request form and you're probably going to have to fill that request form out six to eight to 10 times to get anything. So the MO is make it so difficult for you to get any kind of help that you just give up. And that's very clearly how they operate the jail. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about what kind of medical staff they have. Well, there's a doctor, a local doctor that is assigned to the jail. And I asked the question, how often does, does the doctor come to the jail? And the response from the superintendent is four hours a month. So that's four hours for approximately 400 inmates, sometimes closer to 500 inmates. Um, so it, you can imagine it's very limited contact. Now, they have EMT type people that staff the, um, the medical unit. Um, so, you know, there's a, it's not, it's not fully licensed nurses on, on staff full time or anything like that. It's, it's EMT level kind of people. Um, so the stories that we've heard from folks, there, there's, here's an example. I don't know if you want me to use names or not, but one individual, several individuals described something they called jumping rash. It, it was a, boils or a rash on your body, it jumped around your body and then eventually it jumps to someone else. That was, that was the explanation that we were given. Later, um, an individual described how after being in there for six or seven months, it happened to him and he had open sores on his body that would, were very painful and they would drain, they would dry up and then another one would happen. And this went on for months and months and months and he received no medical attention for this, when he was transferred to another facility, it turned out that it was MRSA that he was suffering from. Yeah. What kind of salary is this? Is this four-hour-a-month doctor receiving? Do you know? Did you were you able to see that in the in their financials? 
I haven't looked at that. Um, I, we have seen what they spend for medical and it's, it's not a low number, but I imagine, you know, a lot of that goes into it for, um, you know, the medications and the, the other services they provide, but no, I don't know the exact on, on the physician, uh, on what he gets. There's also a dentist that's assigned, but you know, doesn't yeah, I think sound... he, he only pulls teeth, right? That's, that's yeah, it. Probably. You, you... Yeah, probably. <laughs> I think that's a, what they told me. Yeah. Wow. So... Unbelievable. Yeah. And as far as, as more on the financials, so uh, they have a certain number of beds that are U.S. Marshal beds that they rent out for these federal prisoners, correct? Correct. And then, correct. Um, no, go ahead. Well, I think you're going, uh, so, so one of the things that is probably the heart of the problem here and why there's not more oversight from the local counties is because that jail doesn't cost the counties a thing. And it's because of what you just touched on. Those federal contracts are lucrative enough that they are able to pay for the operating expense of the entire jail um, so that they don't have to come back to the counties for, for contributions to fund this. Um, one exception is Gloucester County, which bought in late. And so they have a payment that I think ends in 2026. Um, but once that's done, they would be uh, on par with the rest of the other three counties. Okay. And then the other source of, uh, sources of income, the big ones at least, are the commissary and... Uh, I guess the tablets, the phones, any any of those kind of costs are, are those are those the three big sources of income for this jail? Yeah, I would say so. In fact, um, the it's been interesting because the jail board. So first of all, when we 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 went and attended, we would sit there for the public comment and and then leave. And it occurred to me after doing that once or twice that we're missing out on a lot. So I. I resolved that we would sit through the entire meeting. And uh, so they almost were talking in code, uh, it seemed like, because they were talking about subjects, which we didn't have copies of the agenda, so we couldn't really see what, what was next. But um, talking about um, there are some, there was some legislation in 2022 that was moving through the Virginia legislature that was going to revamp the commissary and the other uh, ways that jails and prisons um, make money on, on prisoners. And this is something that people have been involved in criminal justice and been watching it for years have know fully well about. Uh, jail reform is a big, big topic in, in certain circles, but it's not, not something that most of the public is aware of because we just don't deal with it. We just don't know um, people that are, that are suffering through that. The uh, superintendent indicated in one meeting that if this legislation that was being proposed in 2022 was passed, it would have a $1.7 million a year impact on the Northern Neck Regional Jail. And you can do the math and figure that out. And it's, you know- so This is an increase long. in their income? It, it, would, it, would in, it would increase their expense. If, if they okay. change these things and they weren't able to jack up the cost of commissary and, and charge the, the cost they do on phone calls and tablets, you know, that extra margin that they made, if they weren't able to collect that, if the legislation was successful, it would impact their bottom line by 1.7. They'd have to either come up with that money from the counties or they would have to do something different. Yeah. And, and I've, you know, I've talked to several prisoners who, 
who had kitchen duty, who were working in the kitchen. And they would describe uh, these huge containers, bags of food that, that actually set on them, not for human consumption. And I'm not sure why they say that, but they would they would take whatever the formula was for how much water you're supposed to add and they would double it. So these people are not getting the calories that, that they claim they're getting. Uh, they, they would do this to, to make the food go further. And, and it's just junk. It's, uh, it's a bunch, there's a bunch of soy in it. So these, mm-hmm. so these men start having, um, you know, hormonal reactions, uh, you know, because of the soy, all, all the soy. So it's a lot of soy, a lot of salt, um, and just a lot of empty starchy carbs. And so they have to eat the commissary. They have to buy the commissary, which is ridiculously expensive and consume it, or, or they're just gonna you know, continue to lose weight and, uh, and they're not getting any protein, just like you said. So, so they're forcing these people to have to buy their commissary. And uh, you know, they always talk about three hots and a cot. I mean, these people are not being fed properly at all. They're not being fed properly. They're not getting the exercise that they, they should. The, the, the claim to have an indoor recreation area that all, all I have known it's been used for is to throw a, a whole bunch of people in there while they, while they turn, turn cots over. Um, and then there's an outdoor facility that rarely gets used. Um, so, and the, the times of the day that they give them to, to do the, you know, to the physical therapy or their exercise, would be like it's seven o'clock in the morning or six o'clock in the morning. A lot of these guys tell me that it's so chaotic in there, especially in these group, you know, um, pods that oftentimes the only sleep they get is very early in the morning until they've got to get up and start their day. So, um, you know, it's, it's, first of all, it's not made convenient. There's no weight benches. There's no workout equipment. There's none of that stuff. You know, you hear these guys going to different places like Lewisburg and it's night and day. Yeah. You know, that was the big thing for me that, when, when people started, now these guys have been around in different facilities, as you know, all over the country, DC, Alexandria, you know, everywhere. Um, and you know what kept coming back is Northern Neck Regional Jail is worse than any other. Absolutely. We, you know, we had, we've had guys that went in there who said, I would rather be in the hole in the DC gulag than here in Northern Neck. I mean, that's yeah. how bad it is. And then yeah. we have uh, the whole issue with, um, well, there's a lot of racism in there from what we're hearing. Uh, you know, I had the story told to me several times. And uh, the first time I, you know, I kind of had the story explained to me, but not fully in the way that I understood what was going on and until Cash Kelly got moved there. And so he was, after he was sentenced, um, they sent him from DC to, to uh, Northern Neck while they were determining where he was going to, you know, do his uh, time. And he called out, we were at the vigil there and, and he called out and he, he retold the story. And at this time I really got it. And he said, when you come in here, they give you, um, uh, brown towels and, and washcloths. And you, you only have the, the underwear and socks you came in with. They don't, they don't give you anymore because you're a, you're a federal prison. So they're, they don't care. And, um, so you would have to, uh, if you wanted clean underwear and socks, you'd have to wash them when you took a shower. And uh, so he was talking about when you go back and uh, you've got these wet things, 
Uh, so if you have white socks and underwear, you know, you hang them on the, the end of your bed and the administration will say, um, whites don't hang, browns do because their towels are brown and they can, so they're allowed to hang up their towels. Well, it, I mean, this is a, a completely intentionally racial statement uh, that, that the administration is, is saying. And, and this has been historically gone on for uh, forever. Uh, so it's, it's, you know, you, you can't say that there's not this kind of stuff going on inside just from the administration. We're not talking, you know, people are, are joining up with, with groups depending on their race or, or whatever once they're inside. This is coming directly from the top. Well, and, and they try to divide people no matter what. They said that we, we questioned that in our first meetings with, with the jail, um, you know, again, about how are they treating anybody differently. They swore up and down that nobody in there even knew what a J6er was. And so they didn't worry about that at all. Yeah, we come to find out it's the jail staff that identifies people as J6ers and terrorists, just so everybody else knows. Um, and, you know, thank goodness that they're, most of these guys are, are pretty, um, a lot of them are, are very quite capable of taking care of themselves and defending themselves and had to at, on many occasions. Several of them were not so fortunate and, and did get trounced by, by other inmates for whatever reason. Um, but um, I think there's definitely an intentional um, drive to to divide people and and isolate them from one another and put them in a bad situation so we, we know that that's occurred yeah and and this is also a jail where uh, ryan samsell was uh, severely beaten uh they they put him in a in a chair uh don't they have a special name for that chair butt chair i believe yeah so they've got this chair and i think by virginia law uh, they're allowed to strap them into this chair, but only for a certain amount of time, a certain number of hours. And they strapped him in this chair, beat him, and then uh, left him strapped in this chair, I don't know, 12, 18 hours, something crazy like that. Yeah, the, the incident with Ryan Sampson that we have some information on, um, I think that occurred in October 12th, 2022 maybe 21, I, yeah, it would have been 21, um, where he had just completed a um, interview with his attorney. Uh, he was in an attorney booth. Um, and then it's it, it appeared that staff must have been listening in because as soon as he was done with his phone conversation, they started questioning him on, on what he had said. He refused to answer. Um, and that's where he was allegedly um, assaulted in the attorney booth um, and then taken back and further assaulted in another area. Um, so we questioned that um, the board, the jail board had a special closed meeting the following month to review um, where they looked at the tapes and so on. And basically they came out of that review meeting after making us wait for an hour outside, hoping we would go home, um, and uh, basically stated that he um, he fell and hit his face on the floor. Um, and one board member even said he did it to himself. So uh, that's uh, that's the one we've got a lot of information on. Obviously, um, you know, 
there, there are other people who saw him and, and how swollen his face was for days afterwards. Um, we know when his, his wife called the jail. Um, we've got the recordings of, of, of that 911 call uh, to the jail, the jail answering that, oh no, he's fine, he's just fine. And then her, her, her calling, uh, the dispatcher calling back to his wife and relaying that information to her. And you could tell that she was very distraught and didn't believe it, but you know, took it for what it was. But yeah, that's the one instant I think that is gonna really come back to haunt the Northern Neck Regional Jail because allegedly even after the event, um, someone in authority, it may have been Captain English, I'm not sure, came up and uh, um, said to Ryan that, uh, and this is from Ryan to, to uh, our mutual friend who's been covering this, these stories um, and, and said, you know, uh, if you'd have just cooperate, you, we wouldn't have to do this kind of thing. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. Um, I, you know, I think the the jail really started taking notice, not only after you guys were, were attending these board meetings, but because what uh, John Haynes was putting out in the Northern Neck uh, Sentinel, his his local newspaper there, uh, and, and he has just done a fantastic job with that. Um, why don't you touch on that a little bit? Well, you've, you've, you've nailed it. John is, is tenacious and uh, um, he's done some really great work with um, not only the, the reporting that he did from right from the beginning on this, you know, getting it out there, um, which was very helpful, by the way, in getting um, contributions for commissary and so on, because the Sentinel has a very wide um, reach, even though it's, you know, originally started just for the Northern Neck. It goes well beyond the Northern Neck in physical copy as well as electronically out of, over the internet. So a lot of people are reading it. Um, and uh, so the latest issue of the Northern Neck Sentinel, and you can let folks know that that's available at nnsentinel.com. Yeah, I'll, um, I'll, include a, I'll include a link down below in the description. Cool. Um, the latest one is very incendiary, and it and it specifically names uh, Captain English, who it was the, is the head of security there, um, and uh, how basically there's a, a system of good cop, bad cop, um, where they 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 try to work work these guys and um, you know get them to uh, try to coerce them into into doing what they want them to. So. Um, yeah, John's been very impactful on getting that message out through the Sentinel. And it's just a, aside from, from the jail issues, it's an amazing paper. There's not a whole lot of uh, independent, you know, conservative news sources out there, um, at least in print anyway. And it's folks like you and the, and the rest that are really helping to get this word out. So um, that's what we've got to do. Yeah, yeah. Well, you guys have made it an incredible team. Uh, you've got a lot of great people working with you. Uh, through the Northern Neck Patriots, has this brought a lot more awareness to the community in general? Has to uh, not only not only Northern Neck Regional Jail, but also uh, just the J six issue. Well, I think it absolutely has, and you know, it still amazes me when when people um, when I talk to people about January six or J sixers or whatever, and there there are still many many people in this country that don't even know what we're talking about. And the reason why this is so important is because it illustrates the two-tiered system of justice in this country that we have. Now, these guys are pre-trial detainees that are mixed in with the general population of convicted criminals. 
you know, so Mr. Hall, I'm sorry, but you don't treat them all the same. These people should not have been in that general population. They should have been kept separately, but they treated them as if they were convicted criminals, criminals and, um, and treated them actually pretty poorly. Um, so I think, uh, yes, I think to answer your question, I think there are a lot more people that are becoming aware of what's going on, but there's still a lot more that need to. And as I've watched these sentences being handed down, I've been to DC now several times to, to, to watch these. It just amazes me that, uh, that there can be two completely different narratives around this whole, whole topic. Did you listen to uh, Tarek Johnson speak yesterday? The, um, did he speak that, yesterday? I did not. I, I think it was yesterday. That's when I saw it. But anyway, it was it was through Emma Robinson. I think it was covering an Epic Times story. But he was a Capitol Police officer who he calls out Yogananda Pittman, who was the head of Capitol Police at the time of January 6th. Absolutely. Who now has disappeared or is on is retired or off somewhere. But uh, basically, he was saying that he was ordered to, and he felt like it came down from the top, he was ordered to gather up 30 to 40 Capitol Police officers helmets in the days coming up to January 6. And it's very interesting. Why would that be? They're well, helmets. Yeah, they're helmets. And uh, because they, they claimed that they were, um, you know, like hard hats in the construction industry, they have to be certified and they only last a certain number of years and then you have to get new ones. Right. So they took all these other helmets, but didn't issue the new ones. Now, what could the possible reason be for doing that on the lead up to January 6th, other than to create, you know, the potential for more people to get injured? So yeah. very devious. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she is. Uh, she has been a focus of, of, of Tarek Johnson's. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I'm just I'm just so glad that we have uh, this hero. And and he you know he's a humble man he he won't he won't uh, t uh, claim that title but uh, to come out and be a whistleblower in this situation is uh, truly incredible. It but, is, and it's wonderful to watch these people that are out there, and and it gives me heart hope and 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 warms my heart because you you especially now it's a very difficult time for these guys as they're facing these sentences the you know oath keepers. Uh, sentences of you know Stuart Rhodes of 18 years and and Kelly Meggs of 12 years that weighed heavy on these guys hearts you know as they're getting ready to face their trials and I know they all are probably hoping for a miracle um, and, and maybe bracing themselves for the worst but you can tell you can tell it's, it's weighed weight on them so when more and more of these things come out people come forward brave people come forward and say there's something wrong here I feel like that may be something that that at least it's going to encourage these these gentlemen, but hopefully, um, hopefully, make a difference. I mean, we get some of this stuff overturned. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we uh, how, how what was the maximum number of J sixers we had in there? Do you remember? Was it like in the forties, maybe? Yeah. So I've been tracking that all along, and and uh, the way I did it as I went back and looked at all of our commissary slips um, that we had saved the receipts, and I came up with a low a low forties, and then I I I um, actually enlisted Barry Ramey to take a look at that list and see he added six more individuals that I didn't know about so they must have been there prior to our our contributions and then uh, Friday night I was talking with um, Jake Lang and uh, he said something about Northern Neck and I said well, were you there he says yeah I was there twice for a week at a time so there's probably more that were there so that's 49 there's yeah. probably more that were there that I don't know about yet 
Well, and the and the great news is that now we have zero there. That's right. And Jeffrey, uh, Brown, so, Jeffrey Brown was the last one in, in March that, that left. I mean, do you think that this is uh, the marshals? Because we, we, you know, we reached out to them so much. Do you think that they just finally decided, you know, we're not putting any more J6ers in here. It's getting too much attention. Or do you think this was on the jail side that they said, we don't want any more J6ers? What, what really happened? I, I don't have the, the definitive answer, but, but I will say this. I do know that Northern Neck Regional Jail is a place that um, people are sent to kind of tuck them out of the way. Paul Manafort was here, Chris Rock, um, Al-Qaeda terrorists, so on. Um, and uh, it's also a place that's known where they send people they want to plea, you know, so to break them. Um, and I do think that, that the expectation was sleepy Northern Neck, you know, Warsaw, Virginia, there's not a lot of people out here, but guess what? Northern Neck Patriots were here. John Haynes, Northern Neck Sentinel were here. So they actually picked a pretty bad place to send these yeah, they folks. Did. Yeah, they did. Absolutely. And, and you know, as you mentioned early on in, in, uh, in this interview, um, you know, it's a lot of people on the conservative side, I guess you would say, don't ha have not really had any um, concern about prison reform. And the left has been screaming about it for for years and years. Um, we've even had, you know, Elizabeth Warren tried to head something up several years ago, uh, you know, and uh, a lot of big names. And uh, I, I, you know, I, I when I was talking to Troy Nell's staff, I said, I said, look, I, I know that you care about how people are treated in prisons. Um, because he was a he was a sheriff in Texas, and so that's been his concern is to make sure that these uh, these people are are treated properly inside the jails. And uh, I said, so why don't we we have been made aware that these problems exist? This is not a J six issue. This is a national issue. This is a, a Bureau of Prisons issue. This is you know countrywide. Uh, we need prison reform. And I said, I was talking to his legislative director and I said, look, you guys need to come up with a bill. This will cross the aisle. You will have everybody on board with this politically on both sides. And, and this is something we general, genuinely need that, that uh, you know, could, could bring unity about through all of this, if there's anything that, that we could unify on. I absolutely agree with you. I think it's, a, it's a, um, um, an issue that, that that is nonpartisan that, that, uh, and we can learn from the people that have been tracking this. And I'm sure it came from, you know, individual cases of stories of people, um, you know, families spending all their money to, 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 to manage, you know, for, for one of their unfortunate family members who got caught up in the system. And by the way, the system does seem to appear to uh, encourage recidivism and, and keeping people locked into the system because it's a, it's a, all about the money. So, I absolutely agree with you. I think we can cross those aisles and, and we can get, get a bipartisan approach to this and, and make some change because, you know, I think the statistics on the number of incarcerated people, I think the United States is one of the highest in the world. Um, so it is definitely a business. Well, yeah, it is. And, and that's just crazy. And, and that's the thing with this, uh, with Northern Neck, that is, that's a, that's a private prison, isn't, isn't it? Yeah, it's, I think it's technically private. Um, it's it's uh, it, that's what also makes it very interesting. So the superintendent feels fairly insulated because there's a weird uh, loophole in the um, Virginia um, 
code where which established these prisons where they can't sue or be sued and ted hall is famous for for people you know telling them they're going to come get them or, or you know do whatever or, or bring charges up and he'll say things fine sue me because he knows he can't be wow um, so that's a problem as well yeah well and uh you guys continue to to hold vigils out there even though the the j6ers are all gone um, kudos to you on that. How, how is that going? Do you have, are there other prisoners in there who, who call out now who are not J6ers? How's that going? We, we have contacts with a few, but they're, they're not been um, as, as steady as the J6ers. So, um, and I think that's part of, you know, part of, we have to continue to cultivate them. Um, and it's maybe a little bit of a different story. I mean, the J6ers, if you think about it, um, they're a certain level of individual, you know, very patriotic people. They know the constitution. They, they, you know, um, that's why they're there. Cause they were wrapped up in, in January 6th. Um, and I feel like they have a bit of a different, um, approach, which is, you know, if I don't stand up for myself, nobody else will. And, um, I, I think they realize that they're, they're righteous. Um, I'm not sure what an individual who's in serving time for a, a drug charge or whatever the case may be, whether they feel that there's as much um, that they can do about their condition, you know? So there's some of that. Um, so I think that, that focusing on the basics of how people are treated in jails is what we can do. Um, it's interesting because uh, Jonathan Munafok called on Friday night, he, he wasn't aware that we we're still out there having these vigils and he was almost giddy laughing because he said, I can't believe you guys are still there. That <laughs> place is so awful. You know, I'm just, I'm just so excited that you're Wait, still where is there. He now? Is, is he in DC or is he in I think, I think he was in DC. That's where most of our calls came yeah, from. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's where he is now. Yeah. 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 So, you know, and, and what I say is, is, we're there in the name of the J6ers because every one of them that went through there, again, I mean, I remember talking to guys in Lewisburg weeks after, and I'd be following up on a particular topic, like maybe medical treatment that I wanted to highlight at a board meeting, you know? And so I would ask these guys for stories, you know, some I had heard, but others were new. And a couple of them, when they started to talk, you could just hear this pall come over them where, where, and they're, they're, both voices, uh, the tone of their voices changed and they would go say things like, man, that's, it's just hard to think about that place. That was so awful. It's almost like post-traumatic stress disorder that, oh, yeah. that yeah. you know, they just almost didn't even want to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. I believe it. Well, Tom, I know you've got a call to get on. Um, I am so glad we got to talk today. Thank you so much. And, and thank you for all you were doing there, uh, you know, as a patriot. And and especially for fighting for the J Sixers, and we we've just gotta we've we've gotta work together to get prison reform, and and even if we can just start with Virginia and uh, uh, bringing attention to to what's going on in our own state, um, and hopefully work with uh, maybe the attorney general or the governor or somebody because uh, you know something's got to be done. I agree absolutely, and thank you, Mel, for everything you're doing. And I got to say one thing about this whole journey for me is the amazing patriots that I've met along the way, um, the folks that are fighting down in you know, Mickey Whithoff and the rest that are fighting down there for for justice every single night. 
um, attending the trials, all of that, and just just beautiful patriotic people that know that this is an issue that's very important in this country if we're going to preserve it. So um, I, I can't imagine doing anything more important. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's been quite a journey. And, uh, you know, I 100% agree. Uh, it's, there's been nothing like, like meeting all these patriots who are just on fire. Yeah, for yeah. sure. All right. All right. Thank you so much, Tom. You take care and uh, God bless. Thank you. You too. Talk soon. Thanks. All okay. bleed the same red blood of patriots. Make honey great again. I guess we feel like we're servants and we have a product out there that's really cool and we're, we're raising a lot, a lot, a lot of money for, uh, for different groups like yourself. Grown and bottled in America. It looks just like President Trump. Where can people order this honey? It's a very easy site. It's called makehoneygreatagain.com. Sales code MEL. Off it goes within 24 hours, it's shipped to you. Make America great again.